Good afternoon, Succession Seekers. This is episode 56 of uh, Succession Secrets, entitled Be Your Own Investor. Welcome to the Succession Secrets Podcast, where you can grow, groom, and graduate from your business in just seven minutes a day. And now, here is your host, Steve Prada. So, welcome back, Succession Seekers. In today's episode, I would like to discuss the topic of being a founder and raising money. And the reason this topic came up, one of my good friends who is a very successful entrepreneur, a leader of a fast-growing company, he was approached by private equity investors who said that they would really help the company scale and help the company be much bigger, much faster, and more successful if they were to come on board. And my friend was kind of seduced by them, and then it took him a few days to figure out what he would really get from them, and, and eventually he decided for the time being not to accept their investment. But it made me think, because I see a lot of people, young founders, who think or feel that having a venture capital investor or a private equity investor behind them is kind of a seal of approval. It's, it's kind of a sign that they made it. It also allows the company to be able to pay a good salary, Perhaps they even get some money if they sell some shares directly as opposed to just raising money. Then they even get some shares and they can buy a flashy car and they can kind of, they get some immediate gratification. And, and in fact, raising money from venture capitalists, from, from private equity can sometimes be a good idea. There are companies that really have a proven idea, which is growing fast, but in order to scale it, to be a dominant force in the market, to preempt other people coming in the market, they need outside money. There's, just not enough time to scale it up organically uh, to avoid competition. And those companies do need investors and they do need money. And it's legitimate that they bring on investors. But I see a lot of other companies who actually give up too much for much too little to bring on investor and they don't actually succeed. And in fact, they fail because they brought on an investor. So, so let me explain. So my, my question to you, what do investors bring to a founder? to a young company. I think they bring, uh, there are three groups of things that they bring or they say they bring. So first group is they, what they actually really bring. The second group of things is, is what they say they bring, but they don't really bring. And the third groups is that they don't, third category is that things that they don't bring at all. And which perhaps some founders believe that they might bring or they definitely bring, but they, ne they almost never bring. So the first thing that they bring is Number one is cash. They really bring cash. They invest money in the company. Sometimes they don't actually give all the money that they pledge to the company. Sometimes there are conditions to disbursing the money and they only disburse a small amount and the rest of the commitment only gets dispersed on certain metrics being met. And actually, they basically lock in a big chunk of the shares while they only running a small portion of the risk. So even cash, they don't always bring as much as you think they do or they say or they kind of suggest they do, but definitely they bring cash. They also are a sounding board, often in most cases, a sounding board to the management. So they have experience. Typically, these guys come from a consulting background, the fund managers, or they come from banking background, investment banking background. So they have seen a lot of clients. They have had a lot of clients in their past. And they have worked with a lot of companies in many cases, and they do bring some experience and they can be a good sounding board. And they often bring some debt. So there are some companies that find it hard to access debt. 
But when the private equity guys invest money, it becomes more easy to access debt. So they actually bring, they often increase debt capacity of a company just by virtue of being there and kind of bringing their reputation to the business. Okay, so that's the first category. The second category is things that they say they bring, but they don't actually bring or not to the extent or not much or not to the extent that they suggest they bring. First of all, it's strategic thinking. Yes, sometimes they bring strategic ideas, but more often than not, they are not expert in the industry and they don't have better ideas than the management. In fact, the reason the founders have founded the companies was that they had the ideas, they had the experience, they had the industry knowledge. And even if the private equity people are specialists in a certain industry, they are te technology specialists, or even if they are niche specialists, chances are that this is the first company of the kind that they are investing in, of that niche that is the company in. And the chances are they're not going to bring that many new ideas. So I kind of challenge the idea that they bring a lot of strategic thinking. Now, they also say they bring industry experts. And yes, what they do is they bring industry experts and then they let the company pay for it. But they do use their, con their connections to bring in industry experts who then can advise potentially the founders. But again, it's questionable whether the industry experts really have good advice because sometimes these technology companies are state of the art. They are at the cutting edge of things. So people who have experience from five, 10 years before is not really relevant, but sometimes they bring the expert, but the company pays for it. So it's something that they bring, but they, you don't have to have them to bring it. Another thing that they do say that they bring is management candidates. So they beef up the management team and they go out and they find a, better, a good CFO, they find a good CMO, and they basically make the management team bigger. Yes, they do that. But again, do you have to have investors to do this? Can you not hire management people yourself? Can you not network? Can you not hire a headhunter? I would challenge the idea that they actually bring that. I think this is the company what brings it, and the company pays for it anyway. And what they say is that they bring other investors. In the future, they help the company scale further because they bring other investors. Well, they do, but if the company is good, then it's going to be able to attract other investors. So it's again, it's not a great argument. They also say they bring more money, more of their own money. Again, they will only bring it if the company is super successful. If, and if that is the case, then there will be other investors who will be brought on board later by the founders. And what they say they bring is acquisition targets. And yes, they do that a lot, especially those companies who are looking to consolidate those investors who have the strategy to consolidate certain industries. Then they will bring acquisition targets and then they will persuade the management to agree to buying other companies and create a bigger business in the hope that bigger businesses are priced higher proportionately and they can make a good profit on it. But sometimes these acquisition targets are not so sound. Sometimes the private equity investors don't understand the business and they pressure the, the founders, the CEO, to make an acquisition that, that ends up draining resources and draining profits. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, these add-on acquisitions. So what's the third group that thinks that the, the investors definitely don't bring? But first of all, they don't bring execution help. So just because you have investors in the company doesn't mean that you now have more resources to grow the business other than cash. You still have to build your team. You still have to coach your people. You still have to be able to figure out 
how you grow the business. You have to get new customers, which is another thing that investors don't bring. Sometimes they suggest that they have connections. There are other companies, portfolio companies that they have invested in, and there could be cross-selling opportunities between those companies, and they're going to facilitate those cross-selling opportunities. But in practice, it very rarely happens because, again, there are 500 different categories or probably thousands of different categories of companies. So the chances are that the two companies are going to be that close is very low unless we are looking at old industries, but in old industries, and then the justification may be there. So they don't bring execution help. They don't bring new customers. Very rarely they bring new customers. They also don't bring undivided attention. So typically as private equity investors, they raise a fund, let's say $100 million. Then they have three to five years to make the investments in order to be able to demonstrate that they spent the money wisely so they can go out and raise another fund, which means that they are under pressure to make good investments in that three to five year period. And typically, in order to have enough diversification, a fund has to invest at least five to 10 into five to 10 different investments, which means that their attention is going to be divided amongst those investments, plus with the marketing activity to find those, in, those investments. So in practice, these investors spend just a small fraction of their time managing their portfolio companies. They spend most of their time finding new investment opportunities. and then they start the fundraising, the next fundraising. So as soon as they invested the majority of the funds, they have to go out and raise funds because after five years, their investors will stop paying them a monthly fee for doing the investments. And they will have to have another fund raised in order to get their ongoing cash flow covered. So they will be looking for other investments. And therefore, it's not just their undivided attention they will not give, they will probably only attend a board meeting a month or maybe a couple of phone calls, but they're definitely not going to focus on how to build that business strategically. They will just not have the bandwidth to do that. So what are the pitfalls on at the same time of bringing in the private equity guys? Well, first of all, it's going to be a huge reporting burden to bring these people on because they will want to make sure that they control the business in some fashion. They understand what's happening. So they're going to be looking for numbers and they are going to be looking for different numbers than you are looking at. And some of them may be useful, but nevertheless, they will want to have a lot more detailed reporting. They're not going to be in the trenches day to day. So they will not have the information from the market. They will just have the information from the numbers. So they will require a lot of reports. And if the company is going through a tougher period, they will want even more information. So it's going to be a reporting burden. Secondly, they will be a boss to the founder. So the founder who is used to being autonomous and being able to do whatever they think is best at the moment's notice, now it may not be the case, especially if the company has some challenges, then the investors are going to shorten the leash and they will want to know everything. Sometimes they want to be involved in decisions. So there is going to be a boss, hopefully half asleep, but there will be a boss. The third pitfall is the stress of having investors. I mean, you have to please the investors. They may say that they have a long-term perspective, but they will want to know how the business does every quarter. And if the business is not doing well or not on budget, they will ask hard questions. They are going to be nervous and they're going to make you as a founder nurse nervous. So there's obviously a potential for meddling in the business. And then there's the issue of the acquisitions I already mentioned. So if they want you to make acquisitions, 
It can be a slippery slope and the potential dilution. So when the investors come in, they invest in the business in a proportion, often in a proportionate way. But then there are clauses in the agreement that if the business is not on track, then they have anti-dilution clause that will protect them to get diluted. So if there's new money needed in the business and new investors come in and they come in on lesser terms, then the old investors will still keep their proportion of the business and the dilution is going to come at the expense of the founders. So the founders can really lose a lot with these anti-dilution clauses. So even if the investor takes a large minority stake, if the business is not doing well, the founders can not just dilute it to minority, but they can essentially lose most of their investment. And as a result, they can lose management control of the business. So as soon as an investor comes in, the control is already limited because there is a potential of loss of control. So it's going to cause stress and it's going to be a risk that the founder is going to take on by bringing on the investor. So what is an alternative approach then to bringing uh, private equity investors on? Well, the first thing that they bring is cash. So I would wager that you can get cash elsewhere. You can promote the business to your friends and family who will trust you for being doing the right thing. And you know there's a good chance that if the idea is good and if the market is there, you will be able to raise some money from them. Then you can go out to angels and there are always angel investors who are willing to invest fairly. Maybe they are retired CEOs. They want to be involved in the game and they are happy to take a minority stake, a small minority stake in the business. And they possibly, many of them are happy to actually devote their energy to the business. So then you get someone who gives you their undivided attention or at least gives you a good share of their attention. Then another way to raise funds is to go and do a private placement. So if the, if the business is successful, then you can go out and raise money from wealthy individuals. And if you have a good rep- reputation, chances are many of them are going to listen to you. Or maybe you can hire an investment banker and they will raise money for you from a private placement where you don't give up management control. You don't give anti-dilution rights to the investors. They just come in as an investor, as a financial investor, as a silent partner, and you will be able to keep control and keep running the show. Then when you grow the company bigger, you can go out to family offices, which some of them operate like a private equity investor, but many of them don't. Many of them are willing to look at investments that the family that they manage money for is interested in, want to be, again, associated with, and they're going to be looking at investing at much more favorable terms. Then when you grow the company further, you can bring on investors by issuing a different class of shares, such as B shares. And this is the strategy that the Google founders and the Facebook founder applied. They avoided going to institutional investors as long as possible. And they went to private investors, they went to family office, and eventually they hired an investment bank or investment banks to raise money from wealthy investors who were willing to subscribe to B shares, which didn't give them management rights. So the founder could hold on to management control of the business, even when they were diluted below 50% of equity ownership. So these are some of the ideas. Again, if you want the cachet of having venture capital money behind you, all part to you, but think twice before you go there. Because some of the most successful companies, Google, Facebook, Uber as well, 
they avoided that route. They kept the fundraising to private sources as long as possible so that they could keep the control of the business and get the majority of the value that they created for themselves and for their close associates rather than giving it away. So that's it for today. And this uh, podcast is a little bit longer than usual, but I hope you enjoyed it. If this is the case, give me a review on iTunes. So you go on uh, iTunes, you search for Succession Secrets, and you click on the big icon, and then you will see write a review. And please click on that and write a review for me. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. And until then, remember, your succession is success. Thank you for listening to the Succession Secrets Podcast. Make sure you check out SuccessionSecrets.com for archive podcasts and transcripts and IntrepCoaches.com. That's E-N-T-R-E-P Coaches.com to download your free copy of the Your Terms newsletter. 